Welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. This week, we're going to be sharing with you guys some questions and stories you all have emailed to us. Don't forget, if you ever want to send us a question, you can always email us, enlightenedempaths at gmail.com, or you can message us on our Facebook page, which is Enlightened Empaths. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a lovely conversation with questions from all of you guys. Denise, would you like to start us off? I have a question about Twin Flames. Several months ago, I met one of the new employees that my company hired. I didn't pay much attention to him because we didn't work together. We had random run-ins with each other, but I felt like there was something drawing me to him. He would come and talk to me when, I, when he saw me, and the same for me. We worked together one day. We spent a lot of the shift laughing and talking. In the middle of the cab of the ambulance where I work is a docking station for a computer. We both had our arms on it as we were turned in our seats talking to the student rider with me. There was a magnetic energy that I couldn't explain. It was making the hair stand up on my arm. We continued to talk over the days, then worked together on a 24-hour shift. Again, we spent the entire shift talking. I asked him if he felt the magnetic energy between us that first day when we had our arms resting on the computer, and he said yes. And I thought it was just him feeling that weird energy. I told him that it wasn't just him. I did some research on twin flames, but from what I found, it seems to be varied. Some say that our souls were one in heaven and split, and we're mirror images of each other. I know that he's not my soulmate because it feels way different. How can I know if he's my twin flame? I'm going to divert this one to you because I... I have different feelings about twin flames. Do I think that it's some people are very adamant about there is an exact copy twin flame for us? And I, I'm still doing some personal reflection on that to see what I feel about it. Yeah, I am too. I'm not sure about that whole concept because like this listener said, there's so many different opinions. Some people believe that, you know, the, our twin flame stays on the other side and kind of acts as one of our guides on our team to help us. Uh, some people believe that there is this one perfect person out there in the world. I just tend to reject that idea of only one person in this entire universe that's meant for you. It is very romantic, but I think about all the widows you and I have talked to in readings. I often get the message from their spouse in heaven, like, please find someone else. I want you to be happy and loved and it's okay. And, and if we're stuck in this idea of a twin flame, it can really keep us alone for a lot longer than I think we should be. It's just my opinion. I think a twin flame can also, uh, the way I look at it is they're, they're messengers. And I think there are people that we, this is my own little theory in my head. I think there are people we connect with in every lifetime and they seem to show up when we're either at a big turning point. They come in as a catalyst for change. They come in for moral support, but they seem to show up and we do have that familiarity and that connection. And so I think this is one of the things I'm doing a lot of reflection on. Does, can a twin flame, it doesn't have to be a romantic connection. It could be someone who's here to support you on your journey. Well, see, and I call that a soulmate. And I think that we have many, many soulmates in a lifetime, and you can recognize them by that feeling of, oh, I know you. There you are. 
you know, when you just meet someone and you know that you feel comfortable with them right away, there's no fear or worry or anxiety of, oh, what, what will he think of me? Does she like me? There's none of that because there's just this sense of home. I've had that with maybe two handfuls of people. You were one of them. When I met you at the conference, I felt instantly comfortable with you. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think it depends. It goes back to that label. And you. I think you may have, and I just got a flash of this older person that I know who lost a spouse and said there no one could ever replace her, but I'm ready to open my heart again. Again, personal way of looking at it. Don't get so hell-bent on, is this my twin flame? By putting those tight little parameters, we might be missing out on some amazing relationships and friendships. But the sense of electricity she felt with this gentleman is definitely something, and I think it needs to be recognized and you know looked into. Is he a twin flame? I don't know. Is he a soulmate? Probably. Yes, that's an excellent way to put it. And the fact that she, this person came right out and said that, you know, they're mirror images of each other that, and she says not a soulmate, but it feels very different. So I think maybe I'll do a little digging around on this one. Me too. All right. Our next one says, I have a couple of spooky things that have been happening lately that I thought I'd share with you and perhaps get some insight on. For a little context, I've been caretaking my father since last May, and the last couple of months have been really challenging since he has been on a massive decline. It breaks my heart. Your podcast has been giving me tremendous comfort, and for that, I am grateful. About a month ago, I woke up in the middle of the night, groggy, coming out of a dream, and I just kept hearing blood infection in my head. In the morning, the feeling of something being wrong was so intense that I asked my mother how we'd go about testing my father for any sort of infection, which of course is challenging in his condition, let alone with the pandemic. The very next day, he was rushed to the hospital with a fever, and it turned out he had a staph infection. That was a genuinely scary one, but I'd like to think that the warning helped to make sure that we got to it before it was too late. Since he's been in the hospital, my mom and I have been seeing patterns of numbers, 111, 222 and having high-pitched ringing in the ears. It's creeping us both out. Then the strangest thing of all. After a particularly challenging time securing a nurse for his recovery, today I woke up to, to a text message on Christmas for his nurse quitting, leaving me 24 hours to find someone new. In that very instant, the jade bracelet I'd been wearing broke. I bought it earlier in the year since I heard it protects. I'd also heard that if jade jewelry breaks, it means it's done its job. I was kind of curious about the origins of this and figured Samantha is the perfect person to ask about gemstones and the myth of the jade specifically. At any rate, it's been a really hard time for my mom and me. I feel super tapped in, but still have difficulty making sense of all of it. Any tips or advice is helpful. Sending love and light to you both. Well, I think it is incredibly difficult when we are caretaking a parent and helping them through these difficult times. And the fact that you got that an infection was coming, you dreamt it, you heard the words, and then turns out your father did indeed have a staph infection is a really good indicator that you are truly waking up to your spiritual path and your abilities. Whenever we have synchronicities, like seeing repeating numbers, this is the universe talking to us. 
And I think it's a good idea, especially for you and anyone listening to this who does see repeating patterns, to do some research and look at what the numbers mean. Because Pythagoras, Socrates, all the way up to Glynis McCants today, all have written some amazing things on the numbers and what they mean. And so if this is one way the universe is speaking to you, then I think you owe it to yourself to do some research into what these numbers mean. And I don't mean, don't Google like, what does 1111 mean? Because that's so trendy and you'll get a bunch of stuff. I mean, look at the historic ancient knowledge behind the number one, the number two, the number three. And once you have figured that out, you know, like one, for example, is very masculine and independent. Two is very nurturing and feminine. And the one and the two marry to create the three. So three is a creative number. When you look at the old meanings of those numbers, it can be really informative. And then you can also compare them to the tarot. So one in the tarot is the magician card, which is why 1111 is often affiliated with creation and manifestation. The number two is the high priestess card, which is why it's often a number of intuition and listening to your inner self. So if you really do some research there, you'll understand what the universe is trying to tell you. The high pitch ringing in your ears, now obviously that can be a medical condition and I'd be remiss to say, you know, you, you and your mom might want to have your ears checked out. But for spiritual awakenings, it's often a sign of your energy being lifted to the next vibration. And so you're, you can either hear the sound of that new vibration as your energy assimilates to it. For some people, that high ringing is your guides trying to talk to you. And so it can often be a message to find a moment in your busy day to calm down and go within and just try to be a funnel, a receptive receiver for the messages your guides are trying to tell you. Jade, it is a stone of protection, but it's also a stone of luck. And I haven't heard that when jade in particular breaks, it means its job is done for you. I was taught that when any stone breaks, it usually means either you were careless and it broke. I just had that yesterday. I was washing my windows and a window on my a crystal on my windowsill just fell to the floor and broke. I don't think it necessarily meant the job was done. I think it meant I was being too hasty with my window cleaning. But usually when any stone breaks, just kind of falls off your wrist like you're describing, it does mean that the job of that crystal is done. Um, all of that aside, malachite is different. Usually when malachite breaks, it comes as a warning that something is heading your way and you need to be on guard. But for most stones, it just means it's done its job for you. Sometimes stones will break or crack a little if you haven't cleansed them energetically. So they're holding on too much stuff for you and they'll break that way as well. But the fact that this stone broke the same day this nurse quit, which God love you, quitting on Christmas Day with no notice. My heart goes out to you. But it's almost as though the Jade was saying, this nurse's job with you all is done and this is a blessing in disguise. Which personally, I hate that phrase. You know, don't be in disguise. Just come on out and be a blessing and, and give this poor girl more than 24 hours notice that you're quitting. Right, Denise? Exactly. That was a lot of really helpful information. I hope so. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Here's our next one. A while back, there was a podcast on psychic teachers about ghosts being everywhere especially at big stores like Walmart, malls, etc. 
I bring it up on this podcast because my question is, for the empaths, is it possible that we're in fact picking up these ghosts more so than other people? Is it that we get so drained at these big stores and malls? Is there a combo between the two? It makes more sense for me about ghosts because it's easy for me to put up a boundary with strangers. I don't understand why I was so drained after going to these places. Now that I know to be aware of the spirits because I can't see them, I feel that's improved. I'm not feeling drained anymore at Walmart. Woohoo, what are y'all's thoughts? And I think that, yes, I do think as empaths, we tend to be more porous or more susceptible to other people's energies or energies in spirit. And that can be really uncomfortable. It sounds like this person has really done a beautiful job with setting those boundaries and saying, and, and that's the whole key with this is being more aware. I, I think personal level for me, the big places, it's other people's energies. I don't know that I've ever really felt spirit in I mean, I've seen, gone by people and felt their people and spirit with them when I'm in a store, if I haven't, you know, closed down after doing readings or whatever. But as far as feeling ghost energy in those places, not so much. I'll get that a lot in train stations or airports or uh, places where there's a lot of uh, hub, like any kind of a hub, I'll get that. Hospitals. Yeah, hospitals, uh, institutions. Uh, it was interesting as I was out walking the dog the other night and I walked by, there's a branch of the university in the town I live in and I walked by the library and I felt energy there. It, but it felt like someone, like a younger person who was connected with the school, but was in spirit. So I think being cognizant of it and aware, but again, I'm going to go to my default is you don't have to pick up on that negative energy if it's something that you're uncomfortable with. I want to add, if you are a ghost, why would you hunt Walmart? If sure. you're a ghost and you can hunt anywhere, go to Disney World. Paris. <laughs> All right. But then it's the, the density of the vibration that they're going to be attracted to, right? True. No, I know. You're absolutely right. The podcast episode I think he's referring to is we had Marianne Winkowski on the Psychic Teachers podcast who wrote One Ghost Speak. And she said just what Denise was saying, that they need our energy to kind of feed off of. That's what keeps them going. And so they are attracted to crowded places so that they can kind of feed off that energy. And I, I think it's a great question because in my belief, everything is about intention. And so if you're walking into a crowded store with the intention of, blocking your energy from people, why not add and any earthbounds? And then you can do a double block. I think that's a really great suggestion. I'm going to try mm -hmm. it. Okay, our next question says, as I was working in my yard the other day, I was listening to your podcast on assertiveness in empaths, and it hit home. I have a friend that has issues with her child, and she would tell me all about the struggle she was having. I would have nightmares about what she told me. I tried to help, but she would not listen to me. I finally just told her to listen to your podcast and that maybe she could get some enlightened answers. This felt like a building being lifted from my shoulders. What you talk about and explain is very interesting and eye-opening. Thank you for being who you are. Well, I really love that email. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think we can all resonate with that friend who just 
wants to complain and whine and moan, but they will not listen to any advice, suggestions, or even comforting sentiments. And so I think as empaths, we have to decide, do I sit and hold space for this friend while she needs to just complain? Or do I set my boundaries? And so I, I think complaining can be a wonderful thing. We all need to vent. How many times have I texted you, Denise, and said, hey, can we talk so I can just kind of energetically throw up on you for a minute? But there has to be a limit to that. And there also has to be a give and take. And when you have a friend who's doing this repetitively, like her friend is, I do think it's a good idea to just offer some advice and then have some distance, take, take a break from that friend. Right. And also the fact that it was causing nightmares and unsettling this person to that degree, that's a really, really good reason to set some stronger boundaries. And I'm glad the show helped. Me too. Our next one. Hi, ladies. I hope this email finds you well. I'm having a hard time. My husband has gone through what I believe is a spiritual awakening, but it's different than mine. I felt enlightened and full. I felt understood and validated by everything you two have said over the episodes. I found your podcast last June when I went through my own journey. I started with episode one and I'm on the most recent now. I see that my husband has fallen into such a great depression. The universe is too big for him to feel like anything he does in life would have any significance hundreds of years from now. He's having a hard time seeing his purpose and I don't know how to help. He works six days a week and is the provider, so I know he's exhausted. I thought he'd be happy like me, but he seems so lost. He's been drinking so often that it's affecting our relationship. We've been together 11 years, but I feel like we're so disconnected. I'm usually pretty happy every day and had virtual school with our three young kids. Then he gets home and my energy is drained. I'm an empath and I can feel his hurt, which makes me hurt. I'm starting to feel empty. I love him so deeply that the pain breaks my heart. But then I feel pain of feeling unloved and unwanted and emotionally abandoned. I feel selfish for making it about me, but at the same time, I feel like my feelings are valid. I feel scared. He seemed open to the idea of therapy since he sees my pain. He told me he doesn't deserve the love I show him. I just feel overwhelmed with so many feelings. Can you point me in the right direction in finding a therapist of sorts who understands religion and spirituality who can help him? And can you say a prayer for him? And I think we're all sending prayers and love to this family. And I think it's wonderful, wonderful that they're trying to work together to find a solution and that he, that being open to therapy and being open to reaching out for help is an incredible first step. Yeah, I do too. And, and this is such a difficult thing to go through in a marriage when one of you is vibrating at one level and the other is vibrating at a much different level and acting out in destructive behaviors like drinking too much. It's, it's impacts the entire family. It's a whole family thing. It's not even just a marriage thing. And so I think that therapy will help so much, not only for the both of you, but for you as well. And when you're trying to find a, a therapist who understands religion and spirituality, I would recommend emailing them and 
or just emailing them the same email you send us and saying, you know, this is what I'm looking for. And I need a therapist who can come at this with a spiritual approach. I know a lot of therapists on their websites, it'll say that they do past life regression, for example. Well, then you know they're going to be spiritual. Or it'll say that they do EEMDR or some of the the more modern kind of, um, I don't know, esoteric therapies. EEMDR is not an esoteric therapy, but you know, one of the more fringy things then you know they're going to be more open-minded. But if you just email them and say, here's what I'm looking for, is this something you could help with? Or can you offer advice for someone who could help with this or a suggestion for a therapist? That can be really helpful. And to start with, if you have insurance, just type in the name of your insurance. So you just Google who in Mississippi takes Blue Cross Shield. And it'll give you a list of therapists, and then you can start narrowing it down from there. But I do think that that's going to be important. One of the things that therapy, any good therapist will will teach you, is that whatever you're feeling, whether it's quote unquote right or wrong, it is valid because you are feeling it. And sometimes when our spouse is depressed, the image I always get is like a cracked vase. You know, when you've got this beautiful vase and you fill it with water, but there's a little crack in it. So no matter how much water you put into it, it never fills up. That's how it can feel sometimes when you're married to someone who's dealing with an issue like this. Like no matter how much you give, it's just never enough because they're vibrating so low with that depression. And I do think, Denise, when you go through a spiritual awakening, I'm glad she's had such a positive experience with it. But there is a darker side to it. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, yes, I do agree. I think that sometimes it it unearths some feelings, emotions, expectations that we didn't even know were lying dormant. Yeah, and if you don't think that anything you do now will matter in a hundred years, there's there's so much I could say to disagree with that. You know, I mean, there are stories passed down in my family from great grandparents and great great grandparents that I've never met, obviously but their stories inspire me. Their stories inform me and give me hope. And so just the story of your life is going to help your, your family members down the line. And just from another perspective, from what she, the, what she shared, her husband's working six days a week. He's the provider, he's exhausted, and he may be feeling overwhelmed with I'm doing this because I love my family and I want to provide and I want to do this, but my heart isn't in it. And how do I switch gears and still play that role to take care of my family? And that may be something that a therapist could help identify as well. Yeah, I agree. And on a metaphysical level, any cluster courts in the home is helps with group harmony and all, all families getting along and getting together and just doing things throughout your day that lift the vibration of the home, like saging or smudging, or um, I know saging is kind of, uh, what's the word? It's being misappropriated right now. And so you have to be really careful where you source it. So you don't have to use sage. You can use frankincense, cedar, myrrh, dragon's blood incense. There's a lot of different other things you can do to energetically cleanse your home. And you can always just pray into your day and ask that that the light 
always finds your husband and surrounds and fills him. But keep focusing on yourself and your beautiful family and do not think that you are being selfish at all because you you guys deserve to heal and, and work through this. And please know we're going to keep you in our prayers. Okay, our next question says, I was listening to your latest podcast and heard both of you talking about still looking for your word for the year. I know Samantha has mentioned how much she likes Meghan Markle, so I thought I'd share her New Year's resolution in 2016, the year she met Prince Harry, which I think can be summed up in one word, playful. According to the article, Meghan had written the following in her now defunct blog. For this new year, the only thing I aim to do is to approach life playfully, to laugh and enjoy, to keep my standards high, but my level of self-acceptance higher. My New Year's resolution is to leave room for magic, to make my plans and be okay if they sometimes break, to set my goals, but to be open to change, to let the magic know that there is an open door policy with me in 2016 and that it's always welcome to join the party. Seven months later, she met Prince Harry on a blind date. Well, look at that, Denise. That's going to be our <laughs> new word. <laughs> As always, grateful to both of you and your podcast. And that's from Irene. Thank you so much for sending that. I loved reading that. And I loved thinking about the fact that she created this intention of just having a playful year. And isn't that true when we lift sometimes the big burden of expectations and resolution and goals, when we just kind of lift that from our energy and say what Megan said, I'm just going to be open to change and to let the magic know there's an open door policy for me. Beautifully said. It is. And, and raising that vibration to bring in something that's fun and light and happy, because I think we could all use some of that right now. Amen. Our next one. A few weeks ago, I experienced something strange and a little unnerving as I was falling asleep, and I'm hoping that you may be able to shed some light on the experience. As I was falling asleep, I was still in the limbo phase between wakefulness and sleep, incoherent images swirling around me, not super aware, when suddenly I felt like there was a presence next to me. I whipped my head around in the dream, and inches away from me was a woman with her face up close to mine staring at me. This all happened within a second, and I was instantly jolted wide awake. I was afraid to go back to sleep. I prayed to Archangel Michael, put up my protections, and then was able to drift into an uneventful sleep, holding a road night. I didn't recognize the woman at all, and her energy felt a bit abrasive. I, I don't know if that's even the word for it, but in any case, I was quite sh shaken up. It felt as if her energy was piercing mine, similar to the sensation of a sudden loud noise or an overwhelming room of people, if that makes sense. It felt too vivid, too tangible to be a dream, and it has really stuck with me over the past few weeks. However, my rational mind likes to remind me that it was probably just a dream. So that's why I'm writing to you. Does this sound like just a regular old dream? If not, why would this woman be entering my consciousness? Do I need to cleanse my apartment? Any insight would be greatly appreciated. Finally, I know you two hear this all the time, but I'm immensely grateful for the work you do and share with the world. Your podcast is an anchor, and she looks forward to Monday evening uploads. Um, and we appreciate the listeners. And also, this note is amazing as far as that's been happening to so many of us lately. So if anyone out there needs validation that, 
where the hell are these people coming from and what is this energy? I think we're all in this together because I've been having similar things happen and I'm really cautious about turning it on and off. I have my workspace. I have my non-workspace. I've worked years to really make those clear boundaries. And over the last few weeks, I've had just random, random Joes popping up in the house. And it's like, okay, who the hell are you and what do you want? But it's been years and years since I've had one of those night things happen. And that happened a few days ago and it really caught me off guard. But I did the same thing. I started to pray. I started to ask for protection. I sent it out. So you've, you've heard me ad nauseum talk about we tap into that collective. And I think there is a lot of energy right now. And there is a lot that is, it's, whether we want to admit it or like it or not, as empaths, as sensitive people, as kind people, we send out a frequency and a light that is going to attract energy. And I don't mean that in a scary woo-woo way. I mean it in a good way. Um, but I think that, I, I don't think it was just a regular old dream because A, it woke her up so like vibrantly and also that she felt really shook by it. And it was yeah. too vivid and too tangible. Yeah, and it touched more than one sense. You know, it wasn't just vision. It was also sensation. She could feel a presence. I would like for people to take these experiences and look at them objectively while removing the fear from it. Because I get emails like this all the time. And my first instinct is to always say, trust your gut. If your gut tells you it was scary, then it was scary. And keep praying to Archangel Michael and your, all your protection stuff. But the more and more I receive these emails and really kind of dissect them, Denise, I'm starting to wonder if our fear is more of a startle response than an actual situation that we need to be afraid of. For example, my sister had this experience. I was getting ready for a hysterectomy surgery. And the night before she was sitting in bed and she was praying, they are father, and she fell asleep praying. And she woke up and she said there was this huge light shining down the corner of her bedroom where there aren't any windows. And there was a face peering through the light. And she woke up while she was still in that sleep paralysis stage, you know, because a lot of people associate that with something negative and evil too, right? But it's not. Our, our body always paralyzes itself when we sleep. It's, that's how we sleep and dream without knocking the lamps down and thrashing around and getting up and sleepwalking and acting out our dreams. Our body does that to protect us. So when we wake up and we're in that sleep paralysis, it's just our consciousness waking up before our body does. So there's nothing scary there. Unless you're talking about a hag syndrome, then that's something different. But she, my sister woke up could not move her body, sees this light in this face peering. She couldn't make out any features on the face because the light was so bright. And she screamed, tried to put her hand through the light and said, stop. And it went away. And in the morning, she called me in a panic and she was like, upon reflection, I think that was actually a good thing. <laughs> you know, because I was praying for you in a safe surgery, fell asleep and woke up to this light. And yet my first response was fear. So do you see what I'm trying to say, Denise? Like, to me, for this woman, this could have been her love guide because rhodonite is often a stone we hold when we're working on healing heartbreak or heartache or 
letting grief and sadness go from our heart. Rodenite is about calling on the powers of forgiveness. It's, you know, rose quartz, for example, is this really gentle, happy stone that's like, I love everyone and everyone loves me. Whereas rodenite is like, no way be, some people are not worth me. Some people are not worth my love. And I'm here to do the work and I'm getting ready to divide out like who's worthy of my love and who's not. It's a really tough energy. And so I wonder if while she was sleeping with that rodenite under her pillow, she got a glimpse of her love guide. And our guides can't kind of have that intense hardcore energy. Like sister friend, it's time to get the work done. What do you think about all that? I think even though you and I are mediums and we're hopefully somewhat comfortable with talking with people on the other side and feeling their energy and, and all of these other things. It is a shock, especially if you're in that limbo state and all of a sudden, wow, who is that? And what do you want? Taken a lot of years to not react that way. <laughs> and so I, I think you're spot on that it didn't, it wasn't necessarily a negative, uh, a negative person or guide or, spirit. Sometimes I think they use that to test our readiness. I remember I woke up in that same state, our listeners talking about, you know, I couldn't move and I felt a presence in the room. And I just sat up finally and said, no. And I heard, do you ever have that situation where you're in that limbo between sleep and waking and you can kind of hear people murmuring, but there's no one there? Mm -hmm. Okay. I heard someone murmur, yeah, she's not ready. Wow. And I woke up the next morning and wrote it all down. And I was so pissed at myself because I knew my guides were testing my readiness for fully awakening to my intuition. This was in my mid-20s before I was ready. And I mean, they were right. I wasn't ready. But it made me mad because I thought, no, I am. Give me another chance. <laughs> Thankfully, they did. Our next question says, Happy New Year. I hope you and your family are doing well. I was listening to the most recent episode of Enlightened Empaths, and I wanted to help put your mind at ease about the fact that colleges are offering video game scholarships. It made me and still makes me uneasy to a point, but I feel hopeful. In case anyone listening is like, what the heck are they talking about? A couple of episodes ago, we were talking about this new trend in giving scholarships to kids who are really good at video games. And it just kind of shocked me. It was something I hadn't heard of. So our listener continues, I work in an operating room and technology is moving us more and more toward minimally invasive procedures, including robotic procedures. What's interesting is that we are finding that current medical students and surgical students who are learning these procedures are mastering them faster and with greater precision and control than their predecessors, which in turn is much more beneficial for the patients. These medical students and residents are in their 20s and 30s. So it stands to reason that they are more skilled because they're growing up playing video games. Their hand-eye coordination through a screen is top-notch. So that's something positive to focus on. Also, you mentioned you were concerned that we were moving into a place of disconnect and false connection through texting and not having any actual face-to-face -face conversations. I agree, but I have hope. I wonder if the pandemic may be a catalyst in turning that around. As a society, we are constantly on our phones and computers, but not connected at all. So in order to evolve as a species, we need to connect again. Now that we are in a situation of only being able to connect through technology, can you imagine what it will be like when we are able to connect in person again? 
We took for granted the face-to-face contact and allowed ourselves to be lured by technology. We assumed the face-to-face connection would always be there, and frankly, it's easier sometimes to connect in an artificial manner. We probably didn't give much thought to the fact that we were missing out on face-to-face connections because we couldn't imagine a world where we couldn't have them. Well, now we can. We are living it. And it doesn't feel very good because it's not in line with our soul's true purpose. We are here to truly connect, to evolve, and learn our lessons. So maybe valuing true connection is one of the lessons we collectively needed to learn. And perhaps the pandemic creating a world where we could only connect artificially, it might be just what we need to make us grateful for true connection again. Another ironic result is that going forward, many people will be allowed to work from home. So technology can be used for work purposes, yes, but it also allows for people to have actual connection with their families instead of the other way around. I love this email and I really thank her for sending this fascinating and much, much more optimistic look, not only on video gaming, but especially on how this pandemic will affect us with our communications when it is finally in our rearview mirror. So I really, really thank her for sending this to us. And and I hope she's right. I really do. Because I know, I think I'm probably an ambivert more so than an introvert, but I'm feeling much more like an extrovert in this pandemic because I miss connections. I really miss seeing people face to face. And when I do get a chance for it, when I am able to see my family, my book club, for example, we meet outside, either around someone's fire pit or um, at an outdoor restaurant where we can sit spaced apart. I crave those times. I can't wait for that monthly meeting. And so maybe she's right that after this, we will finally realize how important human connection is. True. And also it is opening up the world in different ways. And I love, love, love that she brought up the eye hand coordination. And that's also been seen a lot in the military as well is because, or in automotive repair, everything is so computerized, so much precision, so much that we are evolving in a new direction and finding a positive in that rather than this isn't the way it's always been done. It's a sign of change. I agree. I think when we are on the other side of this, and we had a comment recently about, I'm going to paraphrase this, a little too Pollyanna about new energy coming in because there's a pandemic. Yes, there is a pandemic. I would be remiss not to remain optimistic that we'll get through this together. And I believe that in my soul. And if that's offensive to someone, I apologize. But I don't think throwing gas on the fire of negativity is going to help any of us with this evolution and transition that we're all coming into. Beautifully said, and I totally agree. Our next one. I hope you're both doing well, or as well as you can be during the pandemic. As always, I've wanted to say thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for putting out this podcast every week. It's so encouraging to me and so many others. I want to share some thoughts with you. As I was listening to your podcast from a while ago with Madeline Prado last night, and I felt it was exactly what I needed to hear. My son turned one last week, and as a new mother and an empath, I think everything Madeline had to say resonated with me in such a beautiful way. Women in general, I think, try to take on the world or in a constant position, needing or wanting to prove themselves. 
and taking time to really care and love ourselves is just really hard. But on another level, there's that challenge from others as well. I know in the last 12 months, it's been hard for me to even get up early to shower and blow dry style my hair, things I used to do every day. Thankfully, I have a very supportive husband who is more than glad to watch my son while I take a bath and go to the store just to take time for myself for a minute. I also think that becoming a mom is such a change to our entire being, and it's easy to lose ourselves, our individuality and self outside of being a mom, that self-care both physically and spiritually is so crucial. I think the episode just reminded me that I'm worthy of that time and that if I invest in myself, the universe will invest in me. Thank you so much, Samantha, for that phrase. And I can be the best woman, partner, and mother I can possibly be for myself and my family. Did you two find this to be true as mothers? Just wanted your insight and experiences with this. Thank you so very much for your input. Yeah, it changes your life forever. And obviously, I'm a lot older and my children are grown. It does change everything about your life. And if you learning, I, I respect this greatly. Her, her baby just turned one and she's learning now. I need to take care of myself in order to do this and do it well. What a beautiful, beautiful thing to see that now and not waking up in 10, 15, 20, 25 years and saying, holy shit, where did the time go? I need to start focusing on me again. Bringing that balance in at the beginning of the game, brilliant. It really is because it can be overwhelming. For me, I kept thinking, this is the most important thing in the world. Like, And I still believe that. You can, I don't know, excel the work of Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, and Oprah Winfrey combined. But if you're not a good mom or dad, what the hell does that matter? You know, to me, it's the most important thing you can do is to nurture and love and take care of your family. And so in the beginning, I felt really overwhelmed by that. And I did give my all to it. And it took me a long time, not a year. So you're right, Denise. It's great that she's learning that in 12 months. It took me a little bit longer to learn that if I don't take care of me first, I'm not going to be the wonderful mom that I hope to be every day. And so it's, it is overwhelming. And especially when you have a baby, I mean, gosh, do you remember Denise? Like your time is physically not your own. You don't decide when you wake up, you don't decide when you go to sleep, the baby decides all of that. And you might say, well, Samantha, you set bedtime hours. Yeah, I know, but a newborn has different ideas about that. And so it can be such a shock to your system when not even your, your, comfortable schedule is no longer your own. You have to change everything about your day. I have to be home at this time because this is when lunch is. I have to be home at that time because it's nap time and on and on and on. And so carving out those times. And, you know, people used to say to me, make sure to have a date night every week. Well, you provide the money for me to hire a babysitter, which is now like $12 an hour. And in my town, now they're charging like per kid. So like wow. they're $6 a kid. So that's like $18 an hour. And then you go and, you know, then you got to pay for dinner and then you got to pay for a movie or whatever else. So financially, that was a big thing. One thing that helped me a lot, if anyone's uh, looking for ideas to financially go out with your husband or, or wife or partner, I created, well, I didn't, my friend created a babysitting club 
And so one week I would babysit like for four other uh, family members, kids. And then the next week, you know, we took turns and the kids loved it because they all would get to hang out and go to one person's house. Actually, as I'm talking, that might not work during a pandemic, but uh, it was a really good idea. And it was a way to financially afford to make some time, not only for you, but also for you and your partner. It's an ongoing battle. I, I think it's the hardest and best thing anyone can do uh, if, if they choose to be a parent. It, it, it doesn't get easier. It gets easier in different ways and harder in other ways. But you cannot lose yourself in that process. I, I mean, there were days sometimes where I'd have to remind myself, I'm Samantha, not just the mom. Do you remember feeling that way? I do. And I think, too, to uh, honor and respect the fact the physiological differences that happen in your body after you've been pregnant and had birth. It, it takes a couple of years to get everything back in, in sync. So as an empath, you may be feeling those fluctuations as well. So it's Not a according to social media. <laughs> I swear, if I were a young mom now, pregnant, I don't know what I would do. Because I look at these photos of these celebrities like six weeks after giving birth, and I'm like, who are you? And who's mm -hmm. your plastic surgeon? <laughs> Love what um, Sarah Jessica Parker said. She said, never look at my, at my body or my life post kids and compare it to your own. She said, it takes a team of people that I pay a salary to for me to look this way. Okay, and that is an excellent point because when your babies were little, if someone had scooped up and made sure they were getting naps and, and this and that, and you had two hours a day all to yourself to go work out or to have a trainer or to have a nutritionist, or that would, that would have changed the game a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So I would just say to this lovely listener, go gently with yourself and know that it does get easier every single month as you acclimate to this new norm, but you're definitely not alone in, in your thoughts. And you're, you can, I can tell, we can all tell you're already doing a great job. I just want to add one more little tiny quick thing is that I love, love, love that she and her, her husband are doing this in a partnership, but also for any new dads or playing a father role in someone's life, Equally, please be gentle with yourself and remember your self-care as well, because I think sometimes they might be in the shadows when there's a brand new baby involved or a young baby involved. Excellent point. Thank you for adding that. All right. Our next one says, um, oh, this one really touched my heart. Okay. It says, I have just put my cat to sleep. I probably did the wrong thing, but I feel like the psychic connection between us was that we always knew we wouldn't be together for long. I knew he was sick and I feel like he didn't want to go to the vets because he wouldn't understand it and was so sensitive. So I didn't take him and I didn't want to accept that he might not be okay. And taking him to the vets would have meant I thought he might not be okay. They said he had a tumor, which he may have had since birth. Had I taken him to the vets sooner, I would have known. The outcome wouldn't be different. It would still affect his quality of life. All it would have meant is I'd been worried and our time together less sweet. He was only four, my poor little boy. I feel like when I noticed the issue, it was too late already and anything else would only buy time and mean less time with us being as normal and not worried about what was to come. 
I feel like I did not do the right thing by this cat in the eyes of what other pet owners would do. I might not be able to understand it, but I feel like there must be a reason for why I did what I did and only taking him to the vets when it was too late. I'm so in tune with my cats. I don't see how I could have done the wrong thing. Okay, so that one, I mean, I know, Denise, you've been here. I know I've been here. Making that decision is so hard. Reading this email, I, I do not think he did the wrong thing at all. I think he stated it perfectly when he said there was a psychic connection between us. We always knew we wouldn't be together for long. And so just by honoring that and enjoying the time you had together is exactly what you and that cat needed. I do believe that people and animals, just as much as humans, come to this earth with a soul plan. And some are here for a short while and some are here for a long while, but it all has a rhyme, a rhythm, and a reason. And we humans, we might not be able to understand that. We got, um, oh, what was this, six years ago, we got a Weimariner puppy and we named him Zeus. And it was supposed to be Mike's dog. And this dog bonded with me. <laughs> and he was like my little shadow, his little tiny gray ball of fur. He was the runt of the litter, so he didn't grow very, very big. And it was hard on my my, my little beloved Yorkie Lily, you know, because she's she's my buddy. But this little puppy Zeus was with me everywhere. He slept on my lap all the time. He was a very tired little puppy. You know how puppies are anxious and go, go, go? All he wanted to do was sit on my lap and sleep. And at night, he would curl up on the pillow by my head and he wouldn't move all night. And when he was just six months old, we had to take him for his last round of shots. You know how they have to get all those vaccines? Mm -hmm. And he had a bad reaction and he passed away. And I was devastated. I was devastated. And I blamed myself. Like, you know, I should have known that he was so tired and sleepy that he wouldn't, he was kind of the, the weak one of the, of the litter. He wouldn't be able to handle all these vaccines. I should have known that. Why didn't I psychically know that? Why didn't I spiritually feel it? And like I said, this was quite a, quite a few years ago, and I still think about Zeus all the time. And so no matter what situation our animals are dealing with, how and when they choose to pass I don't know. I always feel guilty around it. You know, when my Doberman, Ashley, she was very, very old. I mean, she had lived beyond her years and I still feel felt guilty when, when we had to let her go. So I, I don't know how to separate the guilt out. I think we always feel that. And yet from reading this email, I, I think he did everything right. Well, they're family. Our animals are our family for a lot of us. And we, we go through the stages of grief and loss. And it's one of the things that my sons and I have always, you, you, you're kind to the animals and to things because they're, they can't protect themselves. We have to make those decisions for them. And that's a lot of responsibility. And I've had a similar situation and been kind of watching this the last few years. People are very, what's the word I want? They have very strong convictions about the proper way to acquire a pet, have a pet, take care of a pet. A lot of people are choosing not to have human children and their, their animals are their babies. And I respect that as well. It's still, it's love. 
but I have absolute deep empathy and compassion for this person because I think we tend to beat ourselves up more that did we do enough? What if I had, could I have done that? That's part of having the animals. I used to know this man years ago, gruff, gruff man, biker, kind, heart of gold, sweet, sweet, sweet as a button, but on the outside, very intimidating, very gruff. And I always have animals and he was alone. He, his uh, partner had passed. And I said, well, why don't you get a dog? He said, I can't. And I said, why? And he said, because I can't handle when they leave. I can't do it. And I think for us, a lot of us as empaths, we do have that incredible psychic, emotional, spiritual connection with our animals, which it's devastating when something happens to them because in some ways we might feel like we let them down a little bit. Have you ever looked at the timing of when your animals have left you? Yes. I think that's enlightening too, don't you? Yes, and I, I shared this on other shows about a dog we had that was just very, very close. He got diagnosed with leukemia. They gave him three months to live. I chose not to go through the invasive bone marrow because the dog had anxiety. It was quality of life. I had asked the vet, what is the prognosis if we put this dog through this horrific procedure? It was going to be intensive and, and like driving back and forth at least two hours each way, several times. Long story short, the vet said, well, you might get an extra six months. And I made the choice of quality of life. And I, that's what I said to the vet. I said, okay, we'll swim more in the river. We'll take more walks. We'll chase the ball more. We'll do all of these things. And he said, that's your choice. And he was wonderful. And he said, in the state of Maine, you have to have a rabies shot, but we'll, we'll stop the other vaccinations. The dog ended up li living for four years, which were four of the hardest years of my life. There was a lot of crisis, a lot of loss, a lot of grief. And then when it was over, the dog passed. But I know in my soul, and I believe, and I'm eternally grateful to that dog, I know he stuck around to get myself and one of my sons through some unbelievably rough patch in her life. Wow, that gives me chills and to help you guys stay focused in the present. Right. During that, wow, that's a beautiful so, story. On a, on a lighter note, I don't know if I told you, if I shared this update with you, Denise, the only pet I wasn't very sad about losing was our hedgehog, Henry. We well, you rehomed Henry, though. Yes, this is my update. So I had, we had Henry for three years. It's all my daughter Chloe wanted for Christmas. She even created a binder called the care and keeping of a hedgehog. And it showed <laughs> me that she would take care of this hedgehog. So I drove like three hours, got this hedgehog and, you know, Santa delivered. And this hedgehog became the bane of my existence. First of all, all it does is sleep and poop. And you have to, it has to have a litter box. It has to have this ginormous home that took up so much room. And you have to change the litter box every single day. And Henry was just not a very happy fellow. He wouldn't let you hold him. We've got all these special pouches where you can carry hedgehogs around. And we'd put him in the pouch and we'd go for a walk. And he would just spike up and then poop all in the pouch. So we tried so many things. We got all the books. We got all the advice. We took him to the vet. 
he was just, you know, kind of cranky. And we'd even try feeding him his special weird food that he liked. Nothing made him happy or put his spikes down. So he outlived his estimated years by like over a year. And that's when I was telling Denise, like, I don't know what to do. They're nocturnal. So I'd be laying in bed at night and I could hear him on his wheel at night. And it was the saddest sound. We used to have hamsters and they would just run on that wheel. And you'd picture them like, hey, how you doing? I'm getting my cardio in. Woo-hoo. No, <laughs> Henry would be on the wheel and you'd hear this creak, creak, creak. Because he just walked slowly on the wheel as though he were saying, what the hell is the point of life? Like it, he was the most depressing angry dog. I mean, hedgehog. So my older daughter babysits for this family. And the woman said, I'm dying for an aging pet that I can just take care of and satisfy my kids need to have a pet. Do you have any ideas? So Olivia said, well, we have a hedgehog that we'd love to rehome. And the woman was like, done. I'll pick him up whenever you want. Do you? So he gets to this new home. The little girl loves him. She created an entire Instagram video channel on tricks she taught Henry. And he died three months later. Wow. Yeah. So, so quality of life quality of life for three months yeah but he was a completely different hedgehog with them he was happy he ate scrambled eggs which hedgehogs are supposed to love never ate them with us he let her put little outfits like little scarves and stuff on him (laughs) and then he went over the rainbow bridge the end (laughs) oh my goodness that's the only pet i didn't really bond with well, I've had a lot of animals in my life, and there's a there's a handful that they they were interesting to have. But they, you you hit a really good point earlier. We learn from them; they learn from us. Um, but seasons in our life as well. Exactly, and so I hope this uh, last bit of rambling aside has helped our listener to alleviate any guilt he may be feeling because. I, I just think he's right. This cat was put in his life for a reason and they were here to enjoy this short amount of time they had together. Right. And for my Catholic friends, remember Pope Francis changed the old law. Animals do have souls. Overdue uh, change, but a, but a much needed change in the, in the thinking that a lot of kids were taught in parochial school growing up. And it is not true. Denise and I have connected with animals on the other side. There are animal mediums out there. I'm sure many of you have had experiences from your pets after they've crossed over. They definitely do go to heaven and they are waiting for us and they will greet us. They will. Mm-hmm. And, and they'll greet each other, which, mm-hmm. I think, which I think is really, really nice. I was doing a reading oh, a couple of years ago And all the man wanted to know was if his dog was okay. And I just kept seeing this dog. It was like a traditional view of heaven. Like I saw the the gold pearly gates. It was was very, very old school, traditional depiction of heaven that I saw. And the dog bounced to the gates and there was a white rabbit waiting. And the two of them greeted each other and then hopped and ran away. And I said to the client, did you ever have a pet white rabbit? And he was like, oh my God, how did you know? And I told him, I said, that white rabbit is who greeted your dog. And he said, but 
the white rabbit died when I was like 10 and, and I had this dog, you know, in, in my forties, it doesn't matter. They're still part of your family. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like the show, please consider giving us a kind review on iTunes or telling a friend to check us out. Don't forget, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.